Good evening. This is the Consumer Call-In with me, Sinead Ryan, sitting in for Ivan. Over the next two weeks, we're taking your calls at this time with experts on consumer issues ranging from home renovations to consumer rights to investments. Today, it's all about pensions. Do you have a pension? Are you worried about your pension? Or what sort of plan should you be looking at? You can get your questions in if you want to get involved. Call 1890-453106 for 30 cent. We can get you on the air. You can text us on 53106. I'm joined in studio by our panel of experts to field your questions and I'm delighted because they're very, very clever on pensions, which which is a relief for us all. Eunice Dreelan, Chair of the Irish Association of Pension Funds, Donal Keating, Actuary at PwC. We are uh, very pleased to have you in with uh, us on the heart shoulder today. And to start, maybe it's good for us all to take kind of a, a step back and listen to the breadth of questions and confusion that people have about this topic Everybody, hopefully, is going to retire, and yet there's an awful lot that we still don't understand about pensions in Ireland. We sent our reporter, Henry McKean, out in the streets to find out who does and doesn't have a pension. Do you have a pension? No. I haven't really thought about it, so maybe I'll see. I'll look into it. Do you have a pension? No. How old are you? 49. And how come you haven't got a pension at 49? Couldn't afford one. So you're 49... Perhaps you'll retire at 65, which is in just 16 years. What are you going to do? can't retire. I have been working for the last 10 years due to illness. So you can't retire. Are you back at work yet? No, I can't work. So you can't work, no pension. Are you worried about the future? Take it each day as it comes. I've been struggling for the last 20 years. It doesn't bother me to struggle for another whatever, many years. That's just life. I don't have a pension. How come you don't have a pension? I never really thought about it. You're 44, no pension. Will you get one? Uh, well, I'm only finished being self-employed, so I was self-employed up till this year, so... So you're thinking about it? Thinking about it, yeah. And you're not worried about the future? No, I take every day as it comes. When you turn 65, who's going to pay the bills? <laughs> I haven't even thought that for a hedge yet, really, to be honest. I have a pension. A good one? It's okay. I don't really know. So is it enough Time for you to be comfortable when you retire? Probably not. But it's something? It's something, yeah. Do you have a pension? No. Personal question, how old are you? Um, oh. Personal question. <laughs> 62. And what are you going to do when you retire with no pension? That's a good question. I, not, I must have a pension. Don't I pay a pension on my, when I'm working? Well, my stamps. You do get um, around 200 and something euro from the government. Yeah, isn't that very good of them? Isn't that brilliant? So you'll get that. You'll get, get the state that, pension. Yeah. yeah, I get the state pension. So that's not too bad, is it? I do. You have a pension? Yes. And is it comfortable? Not really. I'll get a pension. Because it's a long time, a long time uh, when you're retired or when you pass away, so you need to see it through. Are you concerned the fact that you're 50 and you've no pension? Obviously I am, yeah, but I haven't worked for the last 10 years, so it's impossible to sell for a pension. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, it strikes me that, you know, people kind of fall into two camps, people who have a pension, but not quite sure what it is. And the people who just think, what's the big problem? Well, the the big problem is we will all get old. It happens one day at a time, but one day you'll wake up and like that, that lady will be 60 something. And I guess the point about pensions is it is the most tax efficient way of saving for retirement. And the other point, which always gets raised, it's never too late to start. So, you know, pay what you can afford and savings is a habit. And I mean, if you look back at 
my generation when we were in our 20s, the SSIA's massive success. It fostered a savings culture, which unfortunately then kind of just was never brought on to the next level. So if you look to Australia, uh, anybody I know who spent significant time in Australia, they're very pensions aware. That's where we need to get to as a society and that's probably where auto-enrollment is hopefully going to come in. Yeah, of course, Australia take this very seriously and they've had a kind of a mandatory Superannuation for, since 1992, yeah. So what would you say, Eunice, to people that kind of um, would, you know, say, well, I think I've some kind of a pension. I'm sure I've something in work, but I'm not really too sure what it is and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things you can put on the long finger, but it's definitely worth taking a look at every now and then. I wouldn't suggest it's something you need to look at every day either, but maybe every couple of years, sit down and see where you're at. Because as Donald said, the time creeps along and suddenly the, the length of time you have to fix the problem gets shorter. So I suppose the first thing is the state pension is great. It's a great base. But anybody who thinks that that will sort of give them the lifestyle they would like in retirement is probably needs to understand exactly what that is. 240 euro, it's a, a week, which is, is very, say it's a great base to start, but it's about 34% of the average wage in Ireland. Mm. So I suppose the best in Europe. It is. But I suppose the question is back to somebody who says, you know, that might be enough is, can you leave on 30% of your salary? Mm. So Mm. before you ever get into any big numbers or just think, well, so if the state pension is 34% of my salary and I'd like to maybe be able to have 50% of my salary, then I need to probably double up on that amount. Or at least mind the gap. Exactly. Um, okay, we have uh, one caller on the line. John is on the line. John, what is your question for our experts? I have a question about a pension left over from when I worked in the UK. So I've accumulated an amount from a defined contribution pension and I'm wondering what's the best way to get access to it now or later on back in Ireland. Ideally, I'd just like to keep it as part of my life savings to be used whenever I need it. So what are my options? OK, so a pension in the UK. Now, listen, John isn't alone there because there are thousands of workers that would have um, worked maybe in the 60s and 70s in the UK, contributed to a pension over there and, and it's still there. First of all, how easy is it to get hold of it? Do they have the same rules as we have or how should they go about it? The ru- yeah, the rules are slightly different, but I guess the concept is very similar because we took the trust-based system from the UK and implemented it here in Ireland. So he's got a pot of money in the UK. He can transfer it to Ireland, most likely. So there's a thing called John Qrops, Q-U-R-O-P-S. So ask whoever your pension provider is, whether it's an insurance company or an employer-sponsored scheme, can they take a transfer through Qrops? You can do that here. Yeah, here. Yeah. And okay. they probably can. Most schemes can. And then it's a question of do you want to or not, because you might say, well, would I rather leave it in the UK, leave it in sterling in a different currency? Are the rules the same? They're more flexible in the UK. Not at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, potentially. But you could, you could argue that a lot of the damage is done already there. So that's a, that's a thing for John to consider. But in the UK, you can access it from 55, um, which may be something that's attractive in terms of flexibility. So I guess that's a consideration for how he wants to use the money. Okay. All right. Um, so just while we're on the subject of pensions in the UK, um, Eunice, Brexit is, going to be an issue here, isn't it? Like whether we like it or not, I know it's going to invade every bit of our soul um, between now and whenever it happens. But pensions have a particular problem, don't they, when it comes to 
retirement benefits. Well, so it, it is very important, first of all, that people keep track of where their pensions are, by the way, whether it's in Ireland, we see lots of people forget about their pots. But, but coming specifically to the UK, so first of all, we actually don't know what Brexit is going to mean for, for pension rules and all the rest. At the moment, because of cross-border in Europe, we have a certain flow of information and a flow of money and regulation that will harmonise across country. And that does make it a little bit easier with regard to, even though it's not, actually it is quite difficult to move between country, but you have a better chance if you're within that sort of harmonised um, regime. And the government, both governments have committed to making sure that cross-border payments continue. Yes. We're told anyway. Yes, and that's cross-border payments. But we have double taxation treaties and all those sort of things in place. And um, there's no suggesting that any that any of these things would change. But we are in a situ- in an unknown situation at the moment. So really, for people who are in that situation, it's just I suppose keeping on top of it and understand what's happening. Okay. So John, find out where your pension is. And I know there's a department, isn't there, in the UK that actually will tell Irish people, the Department of Work and Pensions, yeah, or, or one of those, won't they? Yeah, in Newcastle. Yeah. Okay. And they actually have a, a quite a good database of Irish workers who may be able to access benefits there. Right. Okay. Um, now, we've another caller on the line with Brian. Um, Brian, tell us your situation. Hi, Sinead. Hi, panellists. I suppose along the lines of the vein of John's previous question, um, employees in are becoming more transient internally here in Ireland than ever before. And um, I suppose my question is, what happens when you leave a permanent uh, pensionable employment and you're in their pension scheme and uh, you, you move along to another job which also offer, offers a pension? Um, I've been told about buyout bonds and that was an instrument you could use. Um, can you bring your pension with you or uh, what's what's uh, available to the average person? OK, so most people this, you know, in their careers now will move job four or five, six times. So it's important. Don't listen to, to, to know what happens to your pension benefits. What options uh, does, does Brian have there? Yeah, so he's kind of got three options, which is one, he can leave it where it was in the over, old employer scheme. It is invested, so it's not like it just stays at... 42,000 euro or whatever it was worth the day you left. It's still invested in the way it was invested. Um, Two is to take it to a personal retirement bond as he outlined, which would be an insurance product in his own name that's then linked to him and not to any employment. And that's taking it out of the scheme but ring-fencing it in a in a different pension product, Yeah, exactly, it? in a personal product. Right. Or the third option is that he could transfer it into his new employer scheme. A positive in doing that, two positives, is one, it consolidates it. And to Eunice's point about we forget where our pensions are, it puts the whole pot together. And the second positive is it usually takes two years to get a vesting, as it's called, or legal right to the employer money that's put into your your scheme through an occupational base. But if you bring yeah. that transfer in, it means you vest immediately. So in the event that Brian was to move on before he did two years in the new employer he would have the entitlement to the, the, the money from the employer as well. Okay, Brian, so you've got quite a lot of options there. What was your sense that, that where you wanted to go with this because you're, you're between employments at the moment? I guess the middle option, um, it, can you redeem that earlier uh, was another point I was told, the, um, where you take it out and put it in the insurance fund. Can you redeem that earlier? Yeah, there's a smile on my face here now, Brian, because we're talking about retirement savings, and you're telling me, <laughs> can you get no, that earlier? Against the grain there now. The advice is to you'll need it. You'll need it more when you're older. <laughs> you can. You could access off the rest of the mortgage with it. I was thinking, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, 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 but you can do that if you leave it in the old employer scheme as well. So as a deferred member of that okay. scheme, you can access it at fifty, and then it would come down to charges, which which is which is cheaper. And I guess there can be economies okay. of scale in group schemes. 
And it's a good idea, Brian, also to get ahead on those charges. What they're going to cost you to, to take it out, to mind it for you and to invest it for you. So lots of options there um, and possibly the added advice is maybe go to a broker, a specialist who can who can talk you through that. OK, thanks a million for calling in. Um, if, if you want to call in, it's 53106 and you can send us in your queries as well. Now, we have another text here, a caller here. Please help. My mother never really worked most of her adult life. She was a stay at home mum. She thinks she's not entitled to a state pension because she has no stamps. Is that correct from a very worried daughter? So in terms of the state pension, um, what is she entitled to? Because we're talking here about a non-contributory, a, a, a non-contributory pension, aren't we, Donald? Yeah, well, we are. I guess the, the state pension itself is just under €13,000 per yeah. year, as Una said. There is a qualified adult dependent pension as well, which is is eleven and a half thousand. So I guess if her dad has a full state pension, then her mom would be the qualified adult dependent for eleven and a half thousand. Right. Regardless. Yeah. So just to set her mind a little yeah. bit at ease. There'll be something coming in. Correct. Correct. And I guess this is the big issue, Eunice, from last year, where I guess Regina Doherty's yeah. been looking to rectify this, where it kind of came to light that a lot of women, predominantly who are home carers, had a real issue with how the state pension is calculated. So that for a lot of them, it's likely that the qualified adult dependent would be higher than a state pension in their yeah, own I mean, right. Even, you, even the terminology, Eunice, in yes. pensions, it is so archaic and arcane, and it drives me completely potty, adult dependent, and there were even worse names, you know. Completely. Widows benefit and all that nonsense. So tell us what Regina Doherty, what the Minister is trying to do here. There was a lacuna in the legislation Mm -hmm. and some people weren't getting their full benefits. Women predominantly. Women predominantly, yes. So what's really nice about um, some of the initiatives in the pensions roadmap will particularly address not only women, but I think will particularly apply to women, where if you're a carer or a homemaker, those years will qualify um, to contribute or to count towards um, uh, the state pension and that is something that didn't happen in the past and that had a particularly negative impact on women more than anybody else so that's a, that is a real improvement OK and and hopefully they'll be playing a bit of catch up on that and yeah. uh, maybe they'll change some of the terminology as well while they're at it right yes. OK uh, well listen keep your questions coming in 53106 um, or to the hard shoulder at News Talk This is the hard shoulder I'm Sinead Ryan and we have taken over the airwaves while Ivan's away uh, to answer all your consumer queries we are talking about pensions today and you can text 53106 or low call us on 1890-453106. Now, we have a text in. Uh, I've Eunice Streelin with me uh, and Donald Keating, who are pension experts. Uh, text in, Donald, about pension in the case of redundancy. So what are the issues that somebody who's been made redundant needs to worry about? Yeah, and this is something we would see a lot day to day in PwC, and it has confused people for whatever the many years it is since the 1972 Taxes Consolidation Act, 47 years, because there is the option to get a, a higher redundancy payment by waiving your right to a tax-free lump sum under the pension scheme. So it's essentially a trade-off between more tax-free cash now one or the other in the redundancy payment versus more tax-free cash later from the pension scheme. And without knowing the specifics of the caller, I guess typically when people are in their 20s or 30s, it may make sense to waive the right to the tax-free lump sum, get the higher redundancy amount. When people are in their 50s and 60s, it's probably the exact opposite. You shouldn't be giving away the tax-free cash from the pension because it's going to be quite soon. 
people in their 40s, it's difficult to know, but they need to see the specifics in mm. their case and understand what it is they're getting up because, giving up, sorry, because obviously the time value of money means that people always think, well, I'd like more now, please. Sure. But that may not be the right answer. And also, I suppose you have to assess, am I going to work again? How Correct. many years do I have left to build up another it, 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 Exactly. Yeah. And I guess the first wave of redundancies I would have helped in when, when the, the tech bubble burst in 2001, 2002, a lot of those people were 28, 29, 30. They were going to work again. So it wasn't such a big deal. If you're 57, you know, it, in manufacturing or something. Yeah, it's a big deal. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a big deal so you need okay. to think about All that. Right. Um, OK, we have another caller on the line. Um, Mary is a teacher. Mary, good evening. Welcome to the Hard Shoulder. What do you want to ask? Um, hi, Sinead. Um, I'm a 42 year old secondary teacher, so I decided on my long summer holidays to look into the thorny business of pensions. And I just find it as clear as mud because um, I have I won't have my full 40 years done um, of service to get my my pension teaching pension, so I have an option between setting up an AVC, this additional voluntary contribution yep. scheme, which has kind of been pushed by very a, a pushy company with salespeople with our union, or this buying back notion of service, and I just don't know which option I should go for, or should I do a bit of some of both, and I have some. Uh, money saved up, like which I could do the buying back the year. Okay. Scheme. So I just don't know which. Okay. Well, let's let's ask our experts that, Mary. So a teacher. Yeah. So your pension is bedded in, and it's really about an AVC, an additional voluntary contribution, or buying yeah. back service years, which of course uh, a lot of public service are allowed to. Eunice, what should Mary do? So I would suggest that the, probably the first thing to do is buy back service. So buy back as much as you can. It, it's often a cheaper way as well to um, accrue the missing years in order that you can maximise the pension you can get um, from from her, her job as a teacher. There then might be some shortfall, uh, maybe Mary's out of the country or something like that, and then you might consider AVCs as well. But step one would be to um, work out what she has now, what she absolutely can have, and then what she's totally short. So what I have what I can buy back and then what's left that I might need to do by ABCs. First step, buy back. Okay, so Mary, that's good advice. Now, in terms of getting that advice, Eunice, where would Mary go? Because a lot of the schemes are are treated with particular brokers that have negotiated deals with the union. Is a good idea to go there, pay for the advice or to go to go somewhere else? Well, first of all, she could write to the Department of Education and just confirm her employment history. So that's the first thing to do and then confirm her pensionable history with them. Okay, and then once she has that, she should go and take some you advice. Know where the gap is and get the yes. advice. Okay, um, and I might Donna, just come yeah, in to say that two? she should ha- get independent advice from somebody who charges her a fee. So better okay. to pay two hundred and fifty, three hundred quid for somebody to take a look at this and tell her what they think if she isn't comfortable. Uh, and she gets an independent view on it. As opposed to a commission-based Correct. fee where they'll be selling you a product and getting a yeah, commission. Yeah, but I, I'd echo Eunice's comments that the buyback a year is probably the most sensible. Okay, it's probably actually. the most sensible and the cheaper um, for you there, Mary. I hope that helps you and you can look into the rest of it then and very best of luck with uh, whatever you decide to do. Uh, okay, we have another live caller on. John from Dublin has a question about selling a commercial rental property uh, in terms of putting it towards his pension. John, tell us about your query. Yes, Shane, it's high. Um, yes, it's a commercial rental property that I own. There are no charges on it, no mortgage. And I'm looking at the possibility of selling it in view of the, hey, sorry, the I'm receiving revenue takes 50% of the top as rental income. And I was looking at putting the money into my pension fund, my pension fund, where I'd only be getting an income of maybe, or sorry, tax of maybe about 30%. 
Right. Is that feasible? Okay. Well, let's ask Donald that because Donald, property and pensions in this country, that has been a, a marriage made both in heaven and in hell, yeah. depending on when you make those decisions. And property and pension funds, the, the department doesn't like them. It doesn't like them and it could be about to get more difficult because there's an EU directive which is about to be implemented uh, which is going to make it more difficult again. However, it is technically possible but not the way you're proposing because you already own the property. So there's a concept called arm's length whereby you can have a property in your pension but it can't be linked directly to you. Um, so if you already own the property it's probably not going to be possible to wrap that now in your pension after the fact, rather than saying, could I put a two-bedroom apartment in Galway City Centre into my pension? There's ways of doing that. Mm. Harvest Mm. or Corn Market or Davy or whoever is running your pension could facilitate that. But if you actually already own the property... You can't siphon it off and and stuff it into your pension fund. But but what you can do is use the proceeds, and apologies, the the phone was was breaking up there as we were listening to it, to try and offset against uh, tax and you could maximise your AVCs, your contributions going forward to put into your pension and use the money from the property to live off over the next couple of years. Okay, because it has to be earned income that you're you're shoveling into the the AVC. And the directive you were talking about, thanks a million, um, uh, John, that that's great. That, a really interesting question. And um, that directive you're talking about, the IRP that's coming down the line, um, that is just going to curtail an awful lot of the smaller schemes. Um, and it's worth getting it into perspective because um, we have far too many uh, pension schemes in this country. The, the pensions regulator, Brendan Kennedy, came out uh, recently. The 160,000 occupational schemes that are in Ireland at the moment, that is half the European total I mean, where did we get that, Eunice? And then, like, that's a big issue, isn't it? It is a big issue, but it also is fair to say that we have, um, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 of one-man pension schemes that have been classified as a sort of a a corporate pension plan in that sense of the word, and they really aren't. So we probably just need to be very careful that the directive that's coming from Europe um, isn't a hammer just to break a little nut, if you know what I mean. And and, and these are been run. The average uh, contribution on these is six hundred uh, euro a month. The average pot size is about seventy thousand. Change in pension terms, isn't it? Exactly. And the regulation that is, which we would all support, which is better governance, um, you know, better regulation around pensions, sustainability. All of those things are positive. But at the same time, they can place quite a large burden on very small um, schemes. And so, for example, in the UK, they excluded those schemes from the requirement to meet. Those those obligations. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, listen, we'll pick this up after the news and um, for now we'll go to Amy. This is Sinead Ryan sitting in for Ivan on the consumer call-in and today we are having a very lively uh, discussion, if that isn't an oxymoron, <laughs> about pensions. Uh, so people have been getting their calls in and their texts in uh, and we've quite a lot of in and you know what? A lot of these questions reflect the, just the confusion that people have over this topic in general. Uh, so um, we have a texter in saying, I had a pension with previous employer roughly around 30000 scheme closed recently and I moved it into a bond. Was this what I should have done or should I have moved it into the employer's pension? That's not unlike the previous question we had and the answer is it depends on your age and whether you're going to work again, Donald. Yeah, correct. Because if you do bring it into the new employer scheme, it forms part of the same pot of money and it's now linked to your current employment versus our caller who I was trying to dissuade from accessing his money early, <laughs> when it's in the bond, it's not linked and you have more yeah. flexibility But when you draw it. OK, so they're your options. Plus OK, we have a caller on the line. Now, Martin is on the line. Martin, what's your question for our team? Hi, Sinead. I keep being told how important a pension is, but surely, well, I've been thinking the state pension should be enough. 
It was enough for my grandparents to keep telling me, and even my parents were actually okay. Now, I'm 36 years old. What has changed that I keep being told that this is so vital to my future? Right, okay, well, 36. Um, so that, like, when you're 36, it can seem like this is an awful long time away, and what's the big fuss, Eunice? But actually, there's big stuff coming down the tracks, isn't that right? Yeah, and I think uh, the circumstances are different as we look forward. The role of families in supporting people in old age and healthcare in later life, um, housing, you know, are you going to be paying rent or will you have your own home with no debt on it? Um, and the state pension, as I said earlier, is a great underpin at 34, 35% of the average wage. But it really is, first of all, down to an individual. Do you think you can live on 240 euro uh, a week? And secondly, Will you have your own home? Will you be debt free? Are you comfortable for health care in later life? All of those things will be different now than probably they were in previous generations. Yeah. And of course, people are um, having longer time in retirement and they want to do more things. People now retire. They want to go travel. They want mm-hmm. to, you know, um, uh, ha- have hobbies and, and do lots more things than maybe our grandparents generation would have done Completely, when, yes. when it was when it was that. So the state pension, let's talk about while we're on the topic, because also coming down the traps very soon. And, um, you know, Martin is going to find this out, uh, is that uh, we have an automatic enrollment scheme coming in in the next couple of years now. When you're, you're shrugging your shoulders, we're told the next couple of years we'll, we'll work with that. What does that mean? And more importantly, what is it? Yes. Yeah, so this is also a really welcome development for the Irish economy and for Irish people in general. Um, about 34 percent of Irish p- people in private employment, in non-government employment, are in pension schemes. So we have a big portion of the population who have no pension coverage whatsoever. And what auto enrolment will do is it will auto enroll everybody in in the state, basically, into a pension scheme. You have the option to opt out, but you will be automatically enrolled in. So it's not mandatory, but it will be um, you'll be auto enrolled in. And um, the plan will be that there will be a sort of a six over time, a six percent of contribution for the employer, from the employee and a contribution from the government. Uh, what they're proposing is around 2%. Free money. Absolutely. And and again, if we look at where, for Ireland long term, this is good for the Irish economy, it's good for Irish people. We do need to have some uh, financial security in, in retirement. So it is all a positive development. And I suppose all we would call is that we've had this proposal now from government and we'd like to see this progressed yeah. and, and, and some solid dates put around yeah. it. Yeah, we're told it's on the way. All right, we've a text in, uh, Sinead, I'm 63 and still working. Um, our pension went in the crash. Would it be worthwhile starting a private pension now and how much would I need to put in? Donal, pension went to the crash. I'm thinking probably shares went in the crash maybe with this caller rather than the pension itself. Possibly, but, but possibly. But maybe the, the fund was decimated. Yeah, but as I said, it's never too late, right? Because there is the ability to take a tax-free lump sum at retirement. So if you're very close to retirement, like 63, anything you put in can potentially all come back out or most of it tax-free at the point at which you retire. So if you're in your 60s, you can put in up to 40% of your gross earnings uh, as a contribution to pension. So I guess it's what what can she afford up to 40% um, and explore basically when is she going to retire. So let's say it's 66 in three years time. If she put three 40% in, it'd be just over one times her salary. It would probably all come back out tax free. Yeah, and of course, the older you get, the more you can the more you can put in on that scale. Okay, we've got another call in. I work for a multinational with a defined benefit scheme, but I'm worried about the future of the company. This is my only pension. Is it possible they may not pay in the future? Is there a particular problem with we have so much foreign direct investment in this, and their rules may not be our rules, or are all multinationals 
forced to operate under Irish under Irish rules. Do people need to worry? All pension schemes in Ireland are subject to the same rules, right? However, I guess this is a point I once had to argue in a in, in a factory at one o'clock in the morning in the middle of Meads to a man who wanted me to say the word guaranteed, and I couldn't say the word guaranteed to him. They are not guaranteed; they are benefit promises. However, I guess that person should look into getting the latest trustee report and accounts for the scheme, uh, you know, find out how well funded the arrangement is. If you look at any of those long serving employers in Ireland, none of them have walked away from their obligations. They've all met them. So maybe the concern is a little unfounded. Okay, And Eunice, is there a a bigger issue with companies now maybe that do go into liquidation or out of business? How well protected are pensioners or people working for them. We've seen quite a lot of schemes. Um, so I suppose slightly different to the UK, there isn't an obligation of the debt on the employer here in, in Ireland with regard. So as Donald said, it is a promise. It's not a guarantee. It, it doesn't sit as a liability that the employer absolutely has to meet. So there, I suppose there is that risk. But in general, we have seen Irish employers um, uh, you know, do a very good job to and try and meet those obligations to try and put in the right funding and the right investment strategy so they can meet those obligations. But it is not a guarantee. Okay, so you need to get as much information as you can. Okay, a couple of texts in again. um, I've a rental property, so that'll be my pension. Well, you wouldn't be the first person who thought that, but you should maybe talk to somebody who thought that in in 2009. Uh, I have been working in the same job for 21 years, says another texter, and in an employed pension. My company has matched the minimum contribution and I'm thinking of leaving for a lower salary job, but want to know, can I withdraw my pension? Uh, I'm currently 47. I don't need to consider a pension as I'll be entitled to a large inheritance. Well, well done you, caller, but <laughs> how, how... So unless you're a pilot, a pilot or a professional rugby player, typically you can't access your pension until you're 50. So, but there, she's not far off. So if she leaves it where she, she has it and her, her link with the employer is broken, she'd be able to access that money from age 50, should she so wish. A better option, if she's about to become wealthy, as she has just alluded to, and we can all drive home sad tonight, is to just leave it for as long as possible until she needs it and, and don't draw it at all till she's into her 60s. would be better advice. Yeah, because if you're going to, Let it to work, up. rather than use it as a supplement, Correct. it's a kind of a bit of a waste because yeah. you'll get far less, less out of it, won't you? Correct. Then do. Okay. Um, right. We've another uh, text in here. A question about my parents, please. My dad, 55, was self-employed with no pension. The business was wound up and he's just started as an employee recently, I presume elsewhere. Um, Mum is a housewife and has also started work. They don't own their house and will likely have no assets when it comes to retirement. This is going to be, of course, a big job for people down the uh, down the um, line. Is there any sort of means-tested government pension they can apply for as neither of them are eligible for the state pension? Well, now, that might not be so, Eunice. Isn't that the case? Or Well, certainly under the proposal for the pensions roadmap, um you know, home homemakers and and carers will will qualify. Th- those years will be recognised for state pensions. So that could apply to either or, depending on, um, you know, if that's a support service they're providing to other members of the family. Um, also, of course, there is the non-contributory state pension, which which is a means-tested pension as well. So th- there may be some. Um, and that's still quite generous. I mean, that's only like a ten or less than the contributory correct. pension. Yes. yes. And, but it is means-tested. Absolutely. And uh, what kind of 
kind of straightens are, are applied to that? Is it depending on your household income? Or household income, assets? assets yeah, absolutely. Oh, Money really? on deposit, okay. those sort of things. But, you know, if, as your caller has said, perhaps our parents will be paying rent and maybe have modest income, perhaps this is another area that they could... Um, and that's a, that's a difficulty, Donald, isn't it? Because um, people paying rent in this market, particularly out of fixed incomes, are likely to be adversely affected by by the, the way the rental market is going. Yeah, correct. And I guess home ownership peaked in this country in 1991 when about just under 80% of people own their own home. And it's now gone down to 65%. So if you go back to your, your stat, Eunice, kind of only one in three people in the private sector have a pension. And, you know, only two and three will ultimately own their own home. So there's a lot of people who will have this kind of problem. And really, it is trying to plan as best as possible. Uh, but but I go back to what I said earlier, saving is a habit. And if you can just start saving something to reduce your income now before you retire, it will help you. Yeah. OK, right. Well, that's the message going out from Donald Keating, actually with PwC and Eunice Dreeland, chair of the Irish Association. And this Pension is Sinead Ryan sitting in for Ivan uh, Yates this afternoon on the consumer call in. We're discussing pensions with Donald Keating from PwC and Eunice Dreeland from the IAPF. Uh, now, we've caller on the line. Stephen from Wexford is in his 20s. And Stephen, you've got a query about starting a pension. Yes, just the question is, would it be better, I'm in a work, but they don't provide a pension, would it be better to go to them and ask them, do they have any, um, do you know, they might have their own pension guide, would it be better to go to an independent person or maybe do both? Okay, that's one for Donald, although if you're in employment, your employer must, by law, give you access to a pension, isn't that right? That's correct, access to a PRSA, a personal retirement savings account. Uh, probably good to check with somebody at work, all right, I would think that's a good idea to ask like the finance director, the accounts person, whoever that might be, and see what they say. And then I guess failing that, I go back to exactly, you were clearly listening earlier, get, pay, pay an advice fee to somebody and get them to help you in terms of setting it up. Uh, and as Sinead said previously, just watch those charges and try and get it as, as cheaply as you can. Yeah, you're good to be thinking about it in your 20s, Stephen. Are you worried about retirement? <laughs> Not yet, but it's more start off small, you know, maybe 20 over a week and then over probably this age, maybe 40, 50 years before I can retire. Well, you're, I, there should I, be a nice lump sum. The experts are nodding their heads ferociously at you. You are absolutely doing the right thing. It's never too early to start. Thank you very much for your call. Now, we've had Sork in Wexford uh, on as well. She said, hi, I'm a dual Irish US citizen born and living in Ireland with PSRI contributions. Uh, I've worked and paid tax in the US for 16 years. How do the two systems speak to each other is, if at all, I'm thinking possibly not, Donald, <laughs> but what should Sorka do just to get information, I suppose? Yeah, I, and I did consult my colleagues. I'm going to give him a shout out here, Roger Murphy, before I left the office. And I was like, what if somebody asks about Irish US pensions? <laughs> it's it's the most complicated and difficult, Sorka. Um, oh, I'm delighted then we were able to bring it to studio today. <laughs> yeah, um, in, in terms of people who have pots and chains, citizenship between the two countries, because the systems don't quite speak to another correctly. However, there is a DTA, uh, so there is a double taxation agreement between the US and Ireland. So you will get the benefit of it, but it's probably good to understand where you might retire. I guess that's the key question. Does she think she'll be living in Wexford 
are living oh, back I in the see. US. Oh, I see. So whether she's getting the Irish pension over there exactly. or the American pension in Ireland. Yeah. Okay, so maybe talk to a tax consultant. Talk to or a tax consultant. Like that. but that's the key question. She needs to know the answer to okay, herself. Okay, and she, she may not have decided that yet. Okay, Sorka. Um, right, we have another caller on the line, a Martin, another Martin, joining us on the line with a question about um, how the mandatory scheme will affect him. I presume you're talking about automatic enrolment there, Martin, are you? Yeah, yes, you're right. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, at 50, it, it does worry me for the future. I mean, I'm from the UK originally. Um, you know, I have no savings. I have no um, pension. The problem I have is obviously I have two kids in secondary school and the commitment, the financial commitments to secondary schools is horrendous, um, you know, each each year. And obviously then hopefully they're going to go on to universities and things. And if you've no savings and no money spare to put into these schemes, I mean, what what happens with that? Okay, so that that is an issue for a lot of people. People get the importance of pensions like Martin does. They get the fact they have to prepare for retirement, but they, they can't afford it. Automatic enrolment, is that going to fix that, Eunice? Okay, so automatic enrolment. So Martin will be will be enrolled into a scheme, but he has the right to opt out. So that's that 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 answers the question very simply. But it will also build up very very slowly. I mean, the government will be very conscious of not imposing, um, you know, very significant uh, either costs on employers or costs on on workers immediately. So this will, similar to other countries, will build up slowly. So I would suggest, if at all possible to try and make the most of your contribution because you get the employers and you get the governments as well. And that's the free money part. And that's what mm. really makes the pension pot grow. So even a, even just starting with a small amount yes. is, is better than nothing. Absolutely. And it's only going to be 1% in 2022. So that's the start up for the, the autumn yes. moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not going to be enough for anything, though, is it? Well, it, something is better than nothing. OK, Sinead. oh, I've just uh, said that. You're right. <laughs> and with the ages of the kids, it could actually work out quite well, because when they then finish their their education, you know, Martin will have 10 years possibly where the contributions start to ramp up. OK, and, and he can add into that yeah, then as well. OK. Uh, and I mean, if you look at the UK, he said he was from the UK, obviously a lot of turmoil. If we look across the water, all we ever think about is Brexit these days. The UK have introduced auto-enrolment over the last seven years. It's been a massive success. It has, and and very, very few people opting out of it, actually. Yeah, and yeah. extremely well received. So if you're yeah. somebody who works in a garage in Bolton and you've now got £6,000 in your pension, you feel really happy about that. It's been a massive success, which I guess has kind of gone under the radar, given everything else that's going on across the water. Yeah, OK, so when, when, it, when it does come in, it will work, and maybe the, some of that money that you're spending on school fees will be freed up to, yeah. uh, to go into the pension, OK? Okay, we have another question here. A texter actually deciding, uh, I'm deciding if retiring is the right thing to do. I have a lump sum of around €65,000 and a public service pension. Is it financially okay to retire? I have full service. Well, I suppose that's how long is a piece of string. Are you okay to retire? it? 65000 in terms of lump sums, um, what do people mainly do that? Do they go on a holiday, buy a new car, spend it all or pay down debt? Pay down, down debt okay. as well, yeah. yeah. So people have maybe residual mortgage left to pay down. So and it will very much depend on the lifestyle that, that person wants and what their own financial obligations are. I, you know, it's very hard to answer that without knowing more information, maybe. Yeah. But I suppose if you needed it to supplement your pension um, and, and that's the dilemma that people have yeah. when they come to retirement, because annuity rates, as we know, which is the mechanism to buy a pension for life, are dreadful. They're on the floor. Zero percent. Uh, so people are tempted to take out as much as they can in cash. Um, and, and maybe put the rest into one of these approved retirement schemes. But 
even so, you're taking a risk, aren't you? You are, yeah. And a lot of people would use it, I think, as you you alluded to there, Sinead, they'd supplement their income in the early years because the most expensive years in retirement are the late 60s, early 70s. So if you did have 60 grand or whatever she said, you could say, well, actually 10 grand a year for six years is going to supplement my income. I'll reassess when I'm in my 70s. Yeah, yeah. And maybe take more more out of the the rest of the pension. Okay. We have another texter in. um, uh, Good evening. I've recently started working in the public sector. Um, but have been working in the private sector for over 20 years on retirement. Will I get a public and uh, a state pension? Thanks in advance. Now, there are rules about what public sector workers can and can't get. Um, Eunice, Donald? It's great, greatly simplified over the last 20 odd years. So so, uh, every public servant since the the mid 90s uh, also gets a state pension as well as a public sector pension. So the answer is yes. Okay, so and again, there'll be people in the organisation that you can ask about this. Uh, And I I think people have a terrible fear about going to to ask questions because they don't really know what even to ask. Never mind, will they understand the answer? If you're in private employment, Mm -hmm. where do you go to get that information? So if you're in private employment and your employer has a pension scheme, definitely your HR department, your finance department, probably HR, they they will actually have all the information. Um, If you're self-employed, you really need to go and and, and take some advice, uh, some independent advice as to what is right for you. If you're in the public sector, um, there are numerous bodies within the public sector who look after public sector pensions for various uh, cohorts of employees, and they also will be will be experts on that. Okay. so, yeah, the the. The expertise is there, and don't and be the thing is, don't be afraid to ask, yeah. and don't be don't be afraid to ask, you know, for the answer in English, <laughs> you know, that you can understand, Donald. And I think this is one of the second order benefits of auto enrolment. If we look twenty years into the future, that there's a culture of retirement savings across the country, and everybody has it, uh, you know. So the ten year old of today, when they're thirty, they, they they will say to their friend, "Oh, what are you invested in?" They'll have it on their phone, and it'll be just part of the culture that you have a pension. Okay, all right. So so the advice really from both of you is to ask your questions, you know, keep asking them, get all the information, and if you don't have a pension... Really, really consider it now and get right. Okay, well, fantastic advice there. Thank you so much, everybody, for all your calls and texts. Um, it really has been um, very thoughtful, I suppose, questions in and, and people worried about uh, about uh, what they have on. So that's it for today for pensions. As you know, we're tackling a different topic each day this week on the consumer call-in. Tomorrow, it's consumer rights and passenger rights. So if you've had a delayed flight, a cancelled trip or bought something dodgy online or maybe you've been the victim of a scam, we'll have experts in studio to deal with those questions so you can get them in now call 1890 text 53106 for 30 cent or email us on the hard shoulder at newstalk.com and we will do our level best to get them answered or maybe get you on air so for now uh, my thanks to uh, Eunice Drelin uh, chair of the IAPF Donald Keating actually with PwC you've been so patient with us today and to the production team Mark Simpson Dan Flanagan Ashling Moore Alex Rousseau Roisin Davis, John O'Donovan and on sound, Michael Quilligan. We'll do it all again tomorrow.